Today we jumped right into conversation with Stephanie Gray. Among other things, Stephanie is a process artist, intuitive, writer. She hosts Paradigm Shift and Interstellar Panel Conversations with Awkwardly Zen and is an all-around good person to know. For more information on Stephanie, you can visit stephgrayart.com. To contact myself or Lori, you can contact us at spiritroadpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Awkwardly Zen Presents Spirit Road, a podcast about our spiritual journey where we can be awkwardly ourselves. It's a path that can be funny, absurd, enlightening, and life-changing all at the same time. Join us as we explore this mysterious world and life we live in. I'm Tim Behrens. I'm Laurie Hewitt. And, and this, this is, is Spirit Road. so I don't forget later. Uh, Probably a good idea. So anyway, yeah, it's like people's heads were exploding, but. Well, and I'm guessing that kind of information is also something that is more processed uh, with the heart as opposed to the head, you know, because yeah, our heads maybe aren't even meant to completely understand it. Truly. Well, and, and the whole idea of time, not time, linear time, I have to intuit that. I can't think about it because we're, by the nature of us being in this 3D world in these physical bodies, we're trapped by time. Our whole language is full of it. We can't get around it. And so you you can try, but even the words we use still imply, infer, are still related to time. It's all embedded in our language. So all I can do is in intuitively i understand that really i think there's no time it all happens simultaneously and so every life we think we've ever lived or will live and are living right now are all simultaneously happening somewhere i really love the analogy of like that our experience of of life is almost like the pin or the needle of a record player you know as it moves through the grooves of a record everything is there and present but that pin or that needle being our consciousness or our focus, Ooh. that it, it is with what's yeah. happening as as it's moving across the surface of this understanding that represents the entirety of our experience. Or or I guess you could extrapolate and say the entirety of the universe's experience of itself. Wow. I like that. I do too. It's a nice analogy. Yeah. It makes me wonder about things like deja vu because I've had a couple of really intense experiences with that. Uh, There have been points where it's um, in my life where something has happened. It's like, this feels really familiar. But I remember last year being out at Red Rocks for for a show, my first show at Red Rock Canyon. Beautiful, beautiful place, wonderful night. But there was a moment where I'm relaying to someone that this was my first time there, but it I had to stop and ask myself, is it that way? This feels so familiar. It was like, even as things are playing out before me in my experience, it's almost like having a memory of them as they're playing out. And um, I remember the response. I, I shared that in the moment, too, that at this, like, I was very confused by how familiar it felt. 
And the response that came back from my friend was, uh, well, maybe this is, uh, maybe that's just a sign that things are lining up, that you're right where you need to be, that this is, this is an alignment, a recognition of that, that things are unfolding the way that you intended them to. Huh. That I love that. Sense. Yeah. And maybe you have already experienced it in some future you, and now what you would consider the present you was just catching up to that. It's interesting. I know. It makes my head spin. <laughs> well, it does. And then if if somebody could have a full understanding of what it would mean to exist outside of linear time, would they be able to function within linear time? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I honestly don't think so. I mean, I and that's, yeah. They'd become psychotic, I think. And maybe, hey, maybe that's, maybe that's some of the mental breaks that we see. Who mm-hmm. knows? I've, you know, working in mental health, uh, I spent uh, several years working with the chronically mentally ill. And I had this client who was schizophrenic. Uh, and I often wondered about him because he was also incredibly psychic, intuitive. And it was hard sometimes to discern which was which. And I don't think he knew. And I think sometimes the voices he heard or the visions he had may have been visitations that we would consider sitting here pretty pretty valid and pretty real. And yet, unfortunately, because of this other kind of overlaying diagnosis, but also just he had he clearly had some issues. It was really hard to discern which was which. And I always felt like he lived sort of outside time as we know it. And I don't Mm -hmm. think he always knew exactly where he was in relation to time or place. And we called that psychosis. But sometimes I wonder, was it really? Yeah. I think about how we have filters through which we experience reality. And at any given moment, we're taking in all of this information. There's so much happening around us and our brain is picking up on that. But Mm -hmm. it has to sort through and say, well, what's relevant? What's important here? And then kind of discard the rest to create a cohesive, Mm -hmm. functional experience in the world. And I I have had experiences with um, playing music with someone who is manic depressive and um, when he was manic, he would not sleep for days sometimes and could be very um, – have delusions of grandeur, I guess you would say, would think think that he had these pivotal roles in, 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 in the, the world's outcome and all of that. And, and, and it was clear – and he knew this himself. He later uh, in life became a mental health advocate, did a lot of really good things, helped a lot of people. But what I noticed in my experiences with him when he was manic was that he would know things about people that there's no logical explanation for why he knew them. He could walk up to a stranger on the street and did. I saw it happen several times and, and whisper something in their ear, ear and they would just break down crying and hug him and thank yeah. him. And even even one day, I remember going on, and if he stumbles across this, it'll be interesting to know his reaction of being able to hear this story. But I remember going out into the woods with a friend. We didn't tell anyone where we were going. We just got in the car. Let's go for a hike somewhere. Drove out into the middle of the woods. And um, while we were out there, he um, he shows up. I mean, it's almost like in my memory, it's like almost walking out from behind a tree. And he was like, hey, I need to talk to you for a second. He's motioning for me. And it's like, you know, I just remember putting my hands up and it's like, how 
how, how do you know, how did you know that I was going to be here? And he never answered that. He had something he had to tell me about. And I do believe that what he was telling me was part of his delusion of grandeur, or we'll just use that term, but um, no plausible explanation for, for how he found me. Wow. Um, yeah. That brings up so many questions like, was he really there physically or did he somehow ask to project himself as a hologram and you experienced that interaction? <laughs> and clearly he had the ability, though, on the other hand, to know where you were going because mm -hmm. of his ability to pick things up and know. That's yeah. so cool. It's almost like him appearing from behind a tree would almost, to me, indicate somebody who just manifested themselves there. They just like, boom, kind of popped out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still perplexed by it to this day. There is no doubt that he had, he had problems with manic depression and that he needed medication in order to regulate himself and live a healthy functioning life. But in those moments when he was in that space, there was more information coming through that we are not normally privy to, yeah. you know, and it just kind of brings to mind that idea that on one end we have mental health issues and challenges. And on the other, it's this idea of like, well, when you get more information that doesn't fit into our normal filter or understanding of reality, it can create be, it can create a situation where it's very hard to function in the world. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as you're talking, it makes me wonder, and this is just my own speculation, but what would happen if an ascended master came onto this planet right now? Mm -hmm. Would they be labeled crazy? It's nuts to think about. Back in the day, people were called witches because I think that's the language they had because they had access to other knowledge that other people didn't and couldn't explain it necessarily. And so they didn't have the terms that we have now in the mental health world. So they were called witches. And, you know, we see how we dealt with that, you know, mm -hmm. so and then the whole story of Jesus coming and we see how we dealt with that when they're, you know, bringing messages of love basically to the world. So, yeah, if someone I think you're right, suddenly appeared on the on the scene, who knows how we would react? Well, there would be my t two thoughts. One would be people would flock to him and he'd have this huge following or she would have this huge following and people would believe everything. And then there'd be that group that says they're crazy and insane and wanted to institutionalize them probably. Well, and it reminds me of the children being born now that could possibly have completely different encoded DNA and stuff like that, exactly. or at least slightly different, but they're showing up differently. They're showing up with what we have to label as like ADHD or, you know, whatever the situations are. And then we just feel like we have to throw different pills down their throats. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard to discern because sometimes those issues are real and they do need support. And then other times it's completely something else, but we can't yet discern kind of make that fine distinction between the two. I wonder if uh, some of it is context too, in that just was reflecting just earlier this morning, I was having a conversation with someone about Kundalini awakenings and, and some of the experiences I had with that. And um, in bringing that up was, I, I shouldn't say I was surprised. I guess I was not surprised to find out that this person had 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 a similar experience. It seems like 
um, when I take that chance out in the world to share things that feel very fantastical or metaphysical in nature, um, more often than not, the people that, you know, and, and certainly going on an intuitive sense, some and in, in, in who to talk to about this, but more often than not, people can relate to it or have a story of their own. And I have this feeling that we are all walking around side by side in this modern day-to-day culture, not talking about these experiences that we're having because we're feared of how, you know, we're fearful of how they will be perceived. And if someone were to tell, uh, read the story of the, the burning bush or something, just to use the example, or the parting of the Red Sea is whatever it would be. Um, sometimes those are taken as literal truth. And yet someone could tell the same story next to a water cooler at work and they'd, people would be like, yeah, this guy's just crazy. You know, it's the context of how how and where the story is being shared. What, and yet, yeah, I think there's a lot of really magical, incredible things going on in the world. And sometimes it's, even with having the beliefs of these, sometimes it's hard to accept them, if not in the correct, proper context for our brains. <laughs> and just being able to see them and recognize them. Because mm-hmm. I don't think we're wired that way. And so all the magic in the world we miss because we don't pay attention to it Mm -hmm. or we talk ourselves out of it so much. Yeah. And really having that ability, at least for me to go within and discern is like so important now for situations like that, even because there's also a time of where people can do amazing things with technology and hoax the the heck out of things, you know, and just to be able to like go within and go, yeah, that doesn't feel like that's actually happening. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you watch children, especially little kids, maybe even before they get to school age, you know, they're so in touch with magic of the world and see things that we don't see and understand things. I think that we don't. And we train that out of them, unfortunately, and tell them it's just their imagination, like that's a bad thing, and try to convince them that it's not true, when I think probably it is the truest thing. They are seeing fairies. They are seeing this magic around them. And just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's it's like the little boy, um, oh, what's the Christmas movie, where, you know, after a while you stop hearing the bell because you stop believing in Santa and mm-hmm. he believes. So he continues to um, hear, hear the bell, even into adulthood. Well, Polar Express. That's the movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. And that always resonates with me. It's like, yes, that is so true. You have to hold that belief in a childlike way. Staying on the topic of children too. I think there is something happening too, where children are open more to the possibilities now, even through um, through the internet and YouTube and all of that. There are videos out there of kids who are seven or eight years old playing virtuoso things on ukuleles and yeah. guitars, uh, these guitars that are almost bigger than they are, and then they're playing just these amazing works of art. And they're not just technical, they're expressive. Mm-hmm. How someone of that age could have that kind of soulful expression um, and and I have to wonder if that's because they can see examples of what's possible um, by looking up all of these things on YouTube. It's like it's not a matter of 
um, uh, trying to imagine something anymore. You can you can find examples of it out there in different ways. And for kids that are open to that, there's no one telling them they can't be that at that age or that it's not possible. Or there may be something going on, too. You mentioned the the DNA encoding and all of that. There's I, I don't know a lot about it, but talk of um, the violet children or these different waves of spirits that are coming through with different reasons for being here on the world. It's uh, I don't I don't know the the truth or not of any of that, but I know there are some incredible kids mm-hmm. out there. Even in some of the the communities that we that we wander in and host discussions and and things, some of the some of the kids that come through, the things that they share and the experiences that they're having, I, I can only just wonder what it would have been like to have that kind of awareness at that age. Yeah, well, and the kids that at very young ages, three and four, five, are talking about a past life that they very vividly remember and very detailed, like parents can go and look up the information they're giving them and see that it's true. And these are kids who couldn't have possibly read it at that point. It's like they are living it and experiencing it because I think kids, you know, at certain ages, especially the younger you are, are so much more connected to what we consider that past life that sometimes it pulls through into this life and they're able to remember that and share that with their family then. And some of the kids are very fortunate. They have parents who believe them and listen to them Mm -hmm. and help them to discuss it and feel comfortable with it and acknowledge it. Don't try to shut it down. Yeah. I have a a niece who's going to be two this year and I just can't wait for her to get to that age where I can ask her certain questions. I had a friend um, years ago who had um, probably a four-year-old, I'm going to guess, and we were walking in because we all, it was a fourplex, so we were walking into the apartment, and he was holding his little kid's hand, and they were walking up the stairs with us, and he said, Dad, do you remember when we lived here before? <laughs> and he was just like saying all this interesting stuff about the ha- the house that was now a fourplex, and his dad was like, huh, you know, and I was just fascinated. I love stuff like that. Do either of you have any memories of like your childhood of having experiences like that? Um, I I can't remember anything about remembering a past life or something, but I do remember sitting in the back of my parents' car when I couldn't have been more than four or five. And we were on a long road trip and I was sitting with this image of a sea of stars. And in the midst of that stars was an infinity symbol. And I remember sitting with that and trying to ponder and and grasp the concept of infinity. And at the time, it didn't feel all of that out of the ordinary that I was doing that. But many years later, as I'm still sitting with that memory, I'm like, where did that come from? How would that image and, and that train of thought even have been in my head at that age? Exactly. Well, I can remember at probably four or five, maybe five, I had a babysitter that would always have us take a nap every afternoon, which I hated. So I would lay there and not sleep, but I would think about, I was, I would think that, okay, there's another me living in Russia and I wonder what she's doing now. And I would spend like this however long laying there trying to visualize what she, this other me looked like and what I was doing at that exact same moment, but across the world in Russia at the time. 
And again, as a five-year-old, how would I have possibly had any concept or any sense of that? Because it was nothing I'd ever heard. And I didn't have a sense of Russia. I mean, I don't think I knew what that was exactly, just that I, I knew it was not here where I was living. But thinking back on it now and kind of knowing what I know, it's like, wow, even at that age, I somehow intuitively knew perhaps that I was having a parallel life someplace else. Even though I didn't have words for it, I just knew there was another me someplace else. That's incredible. Yeah, I don't think I, I can't remember the all. I mean, I have vivid memories of me just sitting in my room, looking out my window at night, looking up at the stars. Um and feeling a very big draw to that, but I don't have any, like, any stories. Sure. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. I just think that there's so much that we don't understand, and I'm not even sure we can understand with our limited capacity, and mainly with our limited language. I think it just blocks us sometimes from really knowing. Right. Yeah, like you said um, earlier, and I can't remember if that was before we started recording, but this idea that our language and our concepts and the way that we move through our days, all of it is based on linear time. And that's our construct. That's our paradigm that we live in. It's how we base our understanding of how things should work. And so it'd be very hard to step outside of that and try and conceptualize something that wasn't based on linear time especially when you don't have the words because the words are kind of the frame through which we, we understand things. I do wonder how things would shift if, if we could just be completely in the present moment and not have to worry about what day it is or, you know, I mean, things would still happen though in that, in that order, chronological order, because the sun would come up and the sun would go down and, I mean, you might lose track of the of how many times that happened, but there would still be this impression of things moving mm-hmm. forward in a linear way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the think piece. <laughs> it, it is. It, it's like my our brain, my brain cannot wrap around that. It's like intuitively, I understand it, and I have no way to think about it at all. Yeah. And again, I don't think that's like, it's not thinkable. It's unthinkable. It is the unthinkable. It's feelable. Mm-hmm. And you're right. What if we could step out of our our brains in a sense and not only live in, live in the present moment and it, that would be from an intuitive place. And right. then we would, we would have more access then I think to all of this. Yeah, I wonder how things would open up then if we got if we got the hang of that, you know, and we were able to just move freely in the present moment, then maybe, oh my gosh, different dimensions and stuff might open up. That's my guess. Yeah, I saw, I think it was today, sometime recently, a thing posted on Facebook about people are talking about sort of having difficulty with memory and not remembering things. And I, I the explanation was that, because we're we're moving more to the fifth dimension that no memory is a good thing. And that's mm-hmm. part of that shift of making that transition from one vibration to the next. And I thought, well, that's an interesting 
explanation of what's happening. It's like, I'd rather think that than other things it could possibly be. Right. <laughs> well, and if you're living moment to moment for each, each second to each second, do you have memory? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. It becomes irrelevant. Right. It's kind of describing the human dilemma there too. It's like if we didn't, if we could let go of memory, if we could be totally present, not not thinking about what came before, not worrying about what came next, it would be far more simple to find happiness and contentment and presence. It's like we create a lot of our challenges by holding on to things that are no longer with us or anticipating things that have not yet come into being and so many things that pull us out of presence. I was just telling someone the other day about, oh, going into the woods in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, a couple of weeks in, things had closed down and I was just stir crazy and had not had the experience of being out in nature all that much on my own. I mean, I love nature and I've gone with friends through the years, but it's been very rare that I've been out there on my own. But given the circumstances, I remember hitting a trail and finding a riverbed to sit by and being in the spring breeze and looking around and seeing the green and listening to the water of the river and um, spending an afternoon there and, and thinking, I haven't been this content in quite some time. And it didn't take anything other than me just walking down that trail. There wasn't any credentials that led me to be there. The world didn't feel turned on end. It was just nature and thinking about how much importance I put on getting things done. And yet when I when I just take a moment to be present in that way, nothing else really matters. Just remember in that moment thinking about how much of my own struggles I've created by by working in that paradigm of thinking that I have to get things done when in fact it's really taking a moment just to breathe and look around and be in that space. And maybe there's a little bit of entrainment that goes on too, in the sense of I'm surrounded by trees and birds and, and things that don't really rely on memory or anticipation. And, and maybe in that way, I can kind of connect to what it would be like to be in that space. You know, you're both artists and don't you find in those moments of creativity, when you're working on something that you're very focused right there in that moment and there is no past, there's nothing coming up ahead of time. You're right there in that moment and everything else kind of fades away. Is that your experience? Cause that the few times I've experienced that, it's like, wow, this is so cool. And you look up and like five hours have gone by and you're like, what happened? Yeah. When, when you hit that sweet spot, a flow state, whatever you want to call it, it is, it's, it is magic. That's the magic that we were talking about earlier. It's right yeah. there. It's wait. It's literally, it's waiting for us. Yeah. Very it's much. always present. It's us that has to focus the attention. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's for me, that's been the attraction of art and music in general is that it creates a, a space where I'm not worried about anything or not reflecting on anything or looking forward. Um, not fearful, just just very much in the moment and in the act of creating and being with whatever is happening. Um, music has been wonderful for that too. And I think everyone has that, you know, it doesn't have to be art or music. Everyone has something like that that will center them totally in the now that they can give their full focus and attention to. 
but yeah, why, why are we not seeking that more and more in our day to day? I think it's been, um, trained out of us. Like it, it's the culture, it's our culture. It's our, what am I trying to say? It's everything trains us not to, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all about completing that list, getting this done, preparing for the future, I mean, everything in our world says, do it this way, be at work on time, work eight to five, you know, do this, do this, do this in certain orders. And it's a, you know, I know there are times when I will make a list of things I want to accomplish in a day and how, how good it feels some days when I actually get the entire list accomplished in one day. And then I can step back and think, well, that was kind of silly. <laughs> Nothing on there absolutely had to be done today. <laughs> but there, but culturally, I think I'm so indoctrinated that it's somehow good when I get it accomplished and I feel less than when I don't. Like I've just slacked off all day. Like and, and even the words we use, slacked off rather than, you know, I've spent the day meditating or reading or doing whatever. And somehow there's a part of me that doesn't value that. It's like, well, you got nothing accomplished. And it's like, well, yeah, I did. You got everything accomplished. <laughs> right. I wouldn't even know how to deep dive on this, but looking at popular culture in particular, it's like anytime you turn on the TV or open your phone or look at it, look at an iPad, whatever it is, there will be some ad telling you something that you need. And that that is based on a psychology of doing everything it possibly can to make you believe that you need it. Mm-hmm. You're not enough because you don't have this. Or, you know, if, if you use your skills, you can go to this level and make this much money, which will allow you to do this and that. But it's always looking forward. It's It's something you don't have that you need to strive for, ultimately, because someone wants your money, right? But... Um, but whatever path it is that you take to get to it, once you're there, it's going to be um, very difficult to not look for the next best thing because that's that's the culture. That's the that's the message for whatever it is. There's always something better. You can always do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's it's interesting to look at those messages too. What that what that tells about our 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 story, our culture, our race. Not to say that it's all bad. There are lots of wonderful things happening because of those efforts, but also too, do they equate to happiness? And and I think that's a that's a big question. And it also implies that there is a destination or an arrival point. And mm-hmm. if you just do these certain things or ha- you know, accumulate this much stuff, then somehow you've arrived someplace, and then somehow you're you've made it in a sense. And what I'm realizing is there is no, it's not about, I mean, they've said this for a long time. It's not about destination because like you were saying, Tim, even if we get to some magical destination, then there's always another one ahead of us that we're supposed Mm -hmm. to achieve next. Yeah. Even thinking with art or music, um, if I could just finish that song that I've been working on and then, and then one day you've got it pretty much lined up and everything is done and you put it out into the world. It's like, it doesn't bring you to some magical spot where, okay, everything feels great. Now it's like, well, I guess I need to write another song or I wish I could have done that better. What do I do next time? It's like, it's always evaluating moving forward, which is what I love about 
music and art as as a process as a as a practice and presence where it's like if you can let go of this idea that it has to be a certain way and just be with the creation or the motion or the the color or the sound or whatever it is that there's something exists there that doesn't require anything beyond that that's such a beautiful place to be in and that goes right back to that present moment we were talking about that flow state of the magic that's there being somebody who has done process art for so long which is basically staying in the present and not have not creating a particular product when folks would come in and they would be doing it with me it would take them a while to figure out that oh okay this isn't for anybody else <laughs> this mm-hmm. isn't to be sold this isn't to be put on a on a wall somewhere this is just for me this is just time to connect back to myself we it's it's so not what we're conditioned to do we're conditioned we're conditioned to feel broken think of how much you can sell when you're broken you gotta you know all the stuff that you can buy to fix yourself but if you're if you're whole uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh our economy would tank yep (laughs) right Exactly. I mean, look at all the retail therapy everybody does. Well, and it's a comparison game too. I know that, yeah, yeah someone coming in, I've heard this from you certainly, Stephanie, but um, someone coming in who has never done process art before, the first thing they might say is, oh, I, I can't really do art. Or it's like I, they have some image in their head of what art should look like when it's done. And and that image probably has come from seeing all of the the beautiful things that get shared online or whatever it would be or the things that have been run through the production mill so much so that they're you know refined and 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 beautiful and the end result was what they were planned for and and process art really isn't about the comparison it's about what can i do right now how can i be with this yeah with the motion and the color and mm-hmm. And I will say, like, most people have a story of being shut down when they were young Mm. by a teacher or a parent. You know, when they've created a green sky and blue grass, they've been told that that's wrong. They don't know how to do art. And so they just stopped. Or even the story of it's great that you have have this hobby, but what are you going to do to pay the bills? It's like it's, it's it's the questions that gets asked that, yeah, give us these beliefs in the first place for sure. Yeah. When really it's inherent and it's inherent in all of us. I mean, there is that creative spark. And like you said, Tim, earlier, it doesn't have to be arting or making music. You can create by cooking, just going on a walk and grabbing some stones and putting them in a certain pattern. It's, Mm -hmm. it's endless because we're creative beings. Well, thank you for the conversation. Glad you could join us, Stephanie. Oh, sure. It was fun. I love talking to you guys. We love talking to you. It's always fun to have you here. 